Good morning, everyone. That's like a class. Very good. Right. Um, can we please take up our offering um, of finances as part of our worship as those who follow Jesus? If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, please be absolutely free to let the baskets go by. It's great to have you here. Um, but we want to worship God with everything we have, including our finances. And we trust in doing so that what we're saying is, Jesus, we trust you for all that you have given to us. We don't trust in our money. We trust in you. We trust that you're our provider. We want to worship you with our lives, our hearts, our relationships, our work, our finances, our speech. I am... We are in... Matthew's Gospel at the moment, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, for the past two weeks, and we started a couple of weeks ago by seeing that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, Jesus declares that we are blessed by God. Not because we're necessarily the superstars, or the rich and famous, or the powerful. In fact, most likely because we're not those things, and Jesus says in his kingdom that's coming and that is here, he's turned everything upside down on its head. And in fact, it's not the rich and the superstars in Jesus' kingdom that are blessed, but it's the poor and the broken. And those who know that they're in desperate need of the kindness of God. So we looked at the blessing and what the blessed life looks like in the kingdom. And then last week, we saw that Jesus said that to those who are his followers in his kingdom, you are salt and you are light. And that we're to bring this flavor and this preservative as we are marinated into the meat of the world. We're to, we're to help bring the kingdom of God to bear and its goodness. Tim Keller, he calls it gospel goodness. That as we live out this life of being those who have the favor of God on us and we're worked into society... That we are to bring out the goodness of the kingdom wherever we are. And then this week we're in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. And we're coming to this amazing, one of the most, probably the most important statement that Jesus made. I know often when you hear preaching, people kind of say, oh this is the most important thing that Jesus said. This is the most significant statement he said. But probably Matthew five seventeen is qualifies for that claim and I think sometimes we read over this and we miss the significance of it because we if I'm being honest our Old Testament understanding our understanding of scripture as a whole our biblical theology the story of what God's doing in human history can be a little bit wishy-washy at times and so we miss the significance of what Jesus is doing and saying here so I'm going to read it And then as I read it, I'm going to trust that the Spirit will lead me because I also feel that I want to preach and just get the point of this, but I don't think I can do also that and what God's putting on my heart this morning. Um, And I just feel we're meant to pray for the sick in a moment too. Matthew 5, verse 17. Just remember this in the context of the blessed life that Jesus said that you are favor, you are flavor, your salt, your light. Jesus said this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And when he says law there, he's talking about the Mosaic law. 
the law that God gave to Moses. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For unless, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law or the scribes, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, I thank you that you are a good, good father. I thank you that you have had a plan before the foundation of the world that your son would be the sacrificial lamb. I thank you that you so love us. I just, I just feel that song is such a prophetic declaration of God's love for us, even when we're far off. That song we just were singing then, that reckless love of God talks, comes from the, the parable that Jesus tells of the shepherd who, when he loses a sheep, leaves the 99 and goes out and finds a sheep and he lifts him up and puts him on his shoulders and takes him back to the rest and then celebrates with his friend. And it's a prophetic song. And I just feel, Rebecca, just as you, as you called us to, to cry out to God for friends and family who, who are far from God, who... who represent that one sheep who is far from God. I I believe that we'd have an expectation that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a shepherd who went out and found the lost sheep and then there's a celebration. And Father, I pray that in these days we would get hold of prophetic songs like that that would fuel within us a confidence that you are our saviour, that you save, that you are mighty to save. Lord, you've done it in our lives and we weren't the rich and famous. We, We weren't powerful. We weren't rich in the eyes of the world. But Lord, for such is your kingdom of heaven. And I pray just in this morning, just in these few moments, that you would continue to ignite within us confidence in you. Lord, not in ourselves, but in who you are. We pray this for your glory and for our joy, that we would have life that is true life, freedom that has been purchased for us. And Lord, we pray it, And ask it, Lord, that that our lives would align with your kingdom in these days. That we would be those who, who know what it is to be sons and daughters of the living king. And have the kindness of God overwhelming us day after day. Come Holy Spirit. Just, um, just to be worshipping, I just feel... I want to pray for those who are sick. And it's not me, but I just want to respond to what the Spirit's doing. And just if you are sick in your body in any way, if, you're, if you have mental health challenges that you're facing, if you have a member of your family who has a sickness of some kind facing mental health challenges, I just, I just want to be led by the Spirit. I'm going out on a limb here, by the way. But believing that I just want to be responding to what the Spirit's doing and not just plowing on. 
If that's you, can I encourage you to stand, maybe raise a hand. Just feel God wants to... Remind us that he is powerful. That he has authority to heal. That he is our healer. I just feel there's somebody here this morning who, just as we were worshipping, you, you would describe yourself as broken hearted. You've, you've said that to your friends even this week. You've said, I'm broken hearted. I'm broken hearted. And I just believe that right now Jesus wants to come and heal the heart. Heal that broken heart. And bring hope and joy and peace. Come Holy Spirit. Just speak to sicknesses and infirmities and mental health challenges. And we we speak to you in the name of Jesus and we say, go. Go in the name of Jesus. This is the authority and power of the name of Jesus Christ. That he has authority over all things, including sickness. I just want to pray for those of you who've responded. And even those of you who, who haven't but are sick. I want to pray right now. That the, that the Spirit would come and the Spirit would just begin to be that, that balm of healing that would flow over your mind, over your body, and would bring healing right now. And so we speak to you sickness. We say, go, you're not welcome. We bind up any, any sickness and infirmity in your body in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And we say, go, you're not welcome. You're not welcome. We speak to you and we say, go. And we say, may healing come. The healing of Jesus. Jesus went around and he touched many and he healed many. He healed all who came to him, in fact. And he has authority and power over sicknesses and diseases and mental health challenges. And as people came and encountered Jesus and they were hungry for healing, even even one woman who had bled for, for, for decades, she pushed through the crowd hungry for Jesus. And she said, if only I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be healed. And she pushed through the crowd, had this lifelong condition of healing. And in that context, oh, sorry, of bleeding, and, and in that context, to, to have menstrual bleeding that, that never goes away is to be unclean and you're separated. And she pushed through, hungry for Jesus, and she touched the hem of his garment. And, and Jesus was walking down the street with his disciples, and there was a throng of people gathering around him, and all of them jostling for, for, to be close to Jesus. Everybody wanted to be close to him, but this lady, she touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus stopped and said, Who touched me? And the disciples thought, you're mad, everybody's touching you. He said, no, no, somebody touched me because power went from me. Power came out from me. And in that very moment, that woman was healed. And Jesus healed her, forgave her sins. And I say that because I just feel right now, for some, there's a battle over healing in the mind. Does God really heal? Is he really able to? Can he really do it? And and I want to break the power of 
disbelief. We speak to that lie that says, well, I know theologically God can heal. I know that one day when I see him face to face, then I'll be like him. I'll receive a, a resurrection body that will never hurt and, and be in pain. But we, but we break the lie over, over our mind that says, just even scientifically, it's impossible. We say, no, with God, all things are possible. And his kingdom has broken out. And Jesus is healer. And he has healed. We say, may faith arrive, arise, that even if we just touch the hem of his garment this morning. And so we speak to sickness. We speak to infirmities. I want to speak to mental health. And we say, we say peace in the mind in the name of Jesus. We say a supernatural peace. We speak to long-term physical sickness and we say, be, we say, go in the name of Jesus. We say, be healed in the name of Jesus. This is one of the signs of the kingdom, is that there is, there is a power with the kingdom. It's not just a kingdom of mere theology, it's a kingdom of power and a demonstration of the supernatural power and kindness of God. And I think even in our culture, we get so used to living with sickness and dealing with it and managing it that we lose that hunger to press through, to get hold of his hem. But, but no, sickness is not of God. Sure, he will use it, but it is not of him. He is, uh, he is light and in him there is no darkness. And he is the good, giver of good gifts. And we speak to, we break lies of our thinking that said God is not interested. No, the overwhelming, reckless love of God that sent his son, even to death on a cross, that he would run after you this morning, that, that he would kick down doors of wrong thinking that says, no, I am your healer and I can and I will heal. And I do heal. And we say, Jesus, would you, would you give us faith to see that you are our healer? And we say, heal, be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. We break cynicism in our minds. We break the power of cynicism and skeptical thinking. We say, no, we we live by faith, not by sight. And not wishful thinking, I hope I'm healed. But Jesus, that you do heal, you restore minds and bodies and souls and broken lives. Lord, we believe you for the greatest of all miracles, which is salvation. Lord, we say we believe you. For healing of the body and mind also. Help our unbelief. Come Holy Spirit. Just wonder if anybody, even as we're praying, just is knowing that God is doing something in their body right now. Any of you guys who've just responded, do you have that? You're aware that God's working and moving and healing you. Anybody? Jill, is that a hand up? Fantastic. Are you happy to come and share it? No. But let's celebrate that God is working. Come on, guys. Let's thank God. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you heal. Thank you that you love to. Jill, well done. Jill, we just bless you in the name of Jesus. And I want to pray that it wouldn't just be a a little bit of healing, a little bit of God doing something nice. We pray for the overwhelming love of God in your life, for for a, a full healing and restoration in your body, in your mind in these days. We bless you, Jill, in the name of Jesus. Go for it. It's there. 
Some years ago, I lost my taste and my smell. Some of you know that, so I can't smell or taste anything. So food is just texture. Go out for a nice meal. It's just texture. Sit down to enjoy a romantic meal. It's just texture. Like there's nothing. And it's been like this for a number of years after a head injury. And I've come to live in a place of, I always have hope. However, I always have hope. However, I've come to learn to live with it. But actually it just, just it's like a thorn in my side. It's always there, you know. And you forget, so you get a taste sign and you go, oh yeah, there's nothing. But just right there, just then, I felt the Lord say to me, it's time to break the lies that you're hearing. It's time to break the lies that the enemy is speaking over your life. And actually, I think for me right now, it's to come to a peace that surpasses my own understanding. And then to put my faith and my trust that I can be healed. Because the doctors say, you can't be. But actually, do the doctors know Jesus? Who knows what we're doing right now? <laughs> Keeping it short. There we are. I'm going to read this. I'm going to tell you the strap line of each verse. And I'm, because this, this bit of scripture is amazing, but we really don't have time. And I'm going to make the final point. The point. This passage in Matthew's gospel, where Jesus says, Do not, come, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Is Jesus saying, I promise you, this is a statement of what Jesus promises he will do and what he is doing. It's amazing. It is utterly jam-packed. And I know why Matthew has it in his gospel. Because Matthew's gospel, he wants to point to Jesus, who is king and Messiah of Israel. The anointed one. And he has Jesus here making this first statement of I. Jesus declaring of who he is, I have come to fulfill. Not get rid of them, not say, oh, they don't count for anything anymore, but Jesus has come to fulfill, to fulfill them. He's come to bring the law and the prophets. So Moses, in effect, the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets, from Moses through to Malachi, all the laws, the Ten Commandments, and then, the, and then all of the ceremonial and civil laws and the moral laws, Jesus says, I've come to fulfill these things. The Ten Commandments and over 2,000 pieces of mosaic legislation. And Jesus says, I've come to fulfill them. It's an amazing statement, but we haven't got time to unpack it. And in verse 17, that's what Jesus promises to do. And he did it. In verse 18, we see what Jesus had to do to keep his promise. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, there is a day coming, by the way, when Everything that is will pass away. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. It's amazing. Jesus fulfilled the law. And even in that moment when he says, I've come to fulfill the law, he's not, he's not just looking at it as a tick box. He's saying, actually, what he's saying is even bigger than that. He's saying, all of the point of the Old Testament, the Torah, Moses' writings, and all of the prophets, in fact, they all point to me. 
The whole of your Old Testament in the Bible is pointing to Jesus. The reason they were written is because Jesus. And he's saying they all point to me and I am the culmination of the scriptures that you have. Remember, in, that, in their day, they didn't have the New Testament. That came after the life of Jesus. And he says, it all points to me. And I will not only fulfill it, but I will accomplish all of the prophetic promises that have been declared in my life. And then verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus here is sharing with his followers what they were to do until the law is fulfilled. And Jesus here is holding up scripture. He's not saying, oh, the Old Testament is rubbish. Just listen, I'm going to give you a New Testament and read that only. He is validating scripture. He is saying, this is the living word of God. It all points to me. He's saying, be in this book, people. This is the life-giving word of God. And this is a bit I just want to focus on for two minutes. Verse 20. And it shows a kind of righteousness that must characterize the lives of those who are to inherit and enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this and gulp. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law or the scribes, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the Pharisees and scribes were kind of like the religious elite of their day, The Pharisees were almost like politicians of their day, and their job was that they were paid professionals to keep every one of those 2,000 bits of mosaic legislation. Their job was to try and fulfill the law of Moses. And they were religious elites, and everybody, they had the monopoly on faith and life and godliness, and everybody looked at them, and they heard Jesus' words, and they were like, this is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. Look how holy these guys are. Look at, look at how they dress. Even the way they dress says, I'm religious. I'm holier than thou. The way they pray. The way they live. The way they give their money. And everybody would have said, what on earth are you talking about? How on earth? It's impossible. How on earth can anybody be more religious than even the scribes and the Pharisees? But listen to what Jesus says of the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. He says this, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. And they so do and observe, and so do and observe whatever they tell you. But not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their, their phylacteries sorry, broad and their, feet and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces, being called rabbi by others. Jesus here is scathing of this hypocritical life of Pharisees. And so Jesus says, to enter the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness has to surpass even that of the Pharisees. And they, they would say, surpass what? We don't even come close. But here, in this amazing bit of scripture, 
Jesus sent out a message to even the most insignificant Jewish person in his day. The, most, the person who sat there and thought, my life counts for nothing. I don't, I've got nothing to contribute. There's no way I can compete in the race of life. And Jesus says to them, to the broken, the meek, those who are blessed, that we started with in the Beatitudes, he says, your righteousness will outstrip that of even the Pharisees. This is an amazing, amazing declaration. Blessed are those who are broken. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And Jesus says, for people like that, your righteousness will outstrip even that of the Pharisees. So what did Jesus mean? And what's he doing in this? And he's saying basically this, that the Pharisees, they live like a coffee cup. That's sparkling on the outside. That looks also clean and nice. And looks, just looks beautiful. But then you go to drink it inside and it's full of sewage water. And he's saying that's what the Pharisees' life is like. It, for them, everything is about external appearance and external obedience of the law. And as we're going to see over the next weeks, Jesus begins to expound on what life in his kingdom looks like. He takes hold of the the Ten Commandments that he gave to Moses and he says, this is what it looks like. And in doing so, he elevates the law. And so we hear things like, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, don't even hate somebody or else you've murdered them in your heart. And the the Pharisees and scribes would have prided themselves on keeping Do not murder. Well, I've never murdered, so I've kept that commandment. And Jesus says, no, that's an external thing. But it's it's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. Do not commit adultery. The Pharisees were thinking, well, I've not committed adultery. And Jesus says, but I tell you, and he takes that law and he elevates it. And he says, even if you look at a woman, another man's wife, lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Yikes. Jesus comes and he elevates what holiness and righteous living looks like. Who on earth can keep these things? But Jesus says, you see, the issue is the the Pharisees think it's all about an external appearance. They think it's about their behavior. And in doing so, that they have a monopoly on faith and right living with God. But Jesus says, you see, the, the issue is it's not an external issue. It's an inward heart issue. It really is an inward heart issue. And so under the Old Covenant, in the, in the Old Testament, it was about obeying the Lord. And this law that was a Mosaic law was given as this temporary thing. It wasn't to stand forever. It was given as a temporary thing. And Jesus says, I want you, to ex- I want you in my kingdom to even exceed the Mosaic law. And Jesus fulfilled it, by the way. He fulfilled it. How, did he, how's, how, do we, how do we exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? Just very quickly, we have what is called an imputed righteousness. Jesus fulfilled the law as our substitute. He is our substitute. His life. So we are saved, hear this people, we are saved not merely by Jesus' death on a cross, dying in our place, but by his right living before his heavenly father. 
Jesus' life also saves us because he fulfilled the law. He lived a righteous life before God. If he hadn't have lived a righteous life, he would not have been able to save us. But And the moment we stop thinking, oh God, it's about me coming to church. Oh God, it's about me reading my Bible. Oh God, it's about me praying and, and giving my money and looking good on the outside. The moment we stop thinking that and we say, Jesus, I trust that you lived a righteous life. That you have done it all on my behalf. In that moment of understanding that it's Jesus' life, it's his righteousness, that he has fulfilled all the law and all the prophets, as we believe in him and take hold of that, his righteousness is imputed to us. It's credited into our account in one fell swoop. Romans 4, 5. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteous. How does my righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees? It is imputed to me by Jesus through faith. Secondly, we surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees by an imparted word. The Holy Spirit gets hold of the word of God, the living word of God, and, and writes it into our hearts. James 1.21 says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees is imputed to us and it is imparted to us through the Holy Spirit. And this is what the prophets look forward to, a day when, when we weren't just obeying the law out of obedience, but when, when the Spirit will come and write the law of Christ on our heart. And our desire would be to live a pleasing life to God. And out of our heart, our desire would be to God, I want to honor you with every ounce of who I am. My life now, I want to live for you. I just wonder for us how many of us are stuck in that old way of living. An external righteousness. And we think it's about the works that we do. No, it's in the one whom we believe in and what he has done. And finally, we surpass the righteousness of even the Pharisees. And that's a high bar, by the way, by an internal righteousness. That's what I was just touching on. Jesus comes, he gets hold of the law of Moses, and he raises it. He raises it. He raises the bar. And that's what we're going to unpack in the coming weeks of what, for those who live in the kingdom of God, those who are citizens of this heavenly kingdom, what does our life now, what is it to look like? You see, for the, for the Pharisees and scribes, it was this pious, actually Pharisees, the word means pious. And that, it carries that connotation of piousness. And, but for the Pharisees, it was this external religious appearance. I think we love religion as human beings. We are quite content with dead religion. We really are. We get our fix thinking, at least God's pleased with me this week. I bothered to go. I bothered to bless somebody. Excuse me, I bothered to bless somebody. And if we're not careful, we can have exactly the same spirit as the Pharisees did. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to love me. That's why, that's why we're singing this song. Jesus, Jesus is saying, I, the Father's saying to us, I, I, I so chase you down. I am that running Father who wants to overwhelm you with my love. And then he doesn't say, now put this on you as a heavy weight that crushes you. He's not saying Christian... Ethics and morals and right living with God should be this burden. It is to be life-giving and freeing. That's why Jesus came to give us life that is true life. 
He came to set us free, not this theological freedom, but a freedom that we can experience, which is why we must pray for the sick, proclaim this good news of Jesus. And so we have the spirit within us that produces a desire for right living with God. See, the kingdom of heaven is the realm of God's spirit dwelling within God's people, both personally and corporately. And it's the spirit within us that produces this desire and hunger and motivates us to live a life pleasing for God. Can I just encourage you as you gather in community groups this week, can we just lay hands on one another and pray for the spirit to come? We need to do this so regularly. Pray, come Holy Spirit. Come and fill us. Come and remind us of our sonship and our daughtership. Come and remind us that, that, God, you are overwhelmingly in love with us. You don't merely theologically love us. You are love. And you've invited us into this, this Trinitarian relationship that we heard earlier. Father, Son, and Spirit. And we are partakers of the divine, if you like. And we've been invited into this not to have a crushing burden placed upon us of good Christian, nice Christian Doesn't lie, doesn't swear, doesn't cheat, doesn't steal. No, we don't do those things, not because we're impressing God, but because it's what flows from a life that is full of the Spirit of God. Not as a pressure, but as a delight of our heart. And when you have the Spirit in you, you have the Spirit comes in it, and I don't know about you, but I have often have those moments where the Spirit just says, You sure you want to do that? Is that what pleasing God looks like? And it's not a crushing thing, it's an encouragement. He says, Come on, come on, life, life. So two things, very quick things. How? How, how, how? What does it look like? If, if this righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees is a righteousness that comes from faith in Christ, it's Jesus and his righteousness. It's the fact that he fulfilled the, pro- the prophets and the law is imputed to us, is imparted to us, and it's internal to us through the Spirit. If our righteousness that surpasses is a gift of God, what does it look like as we go from this place? Two very simple things. One, develop intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It's key to living the Christian life. You see, Christians can easily swing one of two ways. Well, I'm saved, so it doesn't matter how I live. And the Apostle Paul, he bats that one out of the park. It's like, no, no, no. You're saved, so it matters massively how you live now. Be holy because your Father is holy. And then the other extreme that Christians can live is, well, because I'm saved, I better not step a foot out of line because, and you better not step a foot out of line and, and look, at, look at that. Oh, gosh, you've got a sin in your eye, Austin. I can see it. There's something in your life that isn't quite right. And we come and we point out a speck in somebody else's eye. And we walk around with this massive log poking out of our eye. And we're going to come and see that in a bit. And we can end up being a very legalistic people very easily. Very judgmental. But the Spirit of God comes. And when we walk with the Spirit, there's no, there's no place for unforgiveness and holding grudges. In fact, we, we desire to pray for our enemies. Not slander them behind their back, not have a go at them. But within us is this, this, this God-given desire. We say, we say, God, we want them to know you. I was undeserving of your overwhelming love. But I want, I want, I want my enemies even to know your grace in their life. And Jesus comes and through his spirit, as we walk with the spirit in life, our desire is to not grieve him, but to delight in him and let his love and life overwhelm us. And secondly, how do we live 
as those who are righteous with Jesus, where we grow in intimacy with our Heavenly Father. I think, I think this sense of intimacy, we, we see it in the life of Jesus, don't we? He was intimate with his Father. He only did what he saw the Father doing. The Spirit led him. He walked a life of intimacy with God. And so too, church, we are to live a life of intimacy. We don't go to church or give to the poor or care for those who are broken and suffering to please God. If that is your thinking, ask God to break that way of thinking. It's not to earn brownie points. It's because it's what life in the kingdom looks like. It's because it's the character and heart of God. Yes, we care deeply about doing good works because Paul cares about good works. Timothy cares about good works. Jesus cared about doing good works, but not to earn righteousness with God. It doesn't work. The Pharisees are a case in point. But when you have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you, when you believe in Jesus, given to you, credited to your account, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you, from within your inner person, because of the work of the Spirit, it produces a hunger and a desire for God. Not just to live right, but to have intimacy and fellowship with him. And so I just want to pray for us. Can we stand? We're going to finish. I want to ask that the Father would come and ignite within us a fresh passion, a fresh hunger for intimacy. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be a people who are incredibly intimate with you, that we would grow in intimacy, that we would day by day walk with you and learn what it is. That we would, you would break within us any sense of, of having to prove ourselves and our spirituality to others. That we would see that self-righteousness counts for nothing in your kingdom. But a life of obedience led by you. Doing the works of the kingdom because it's what the children of the kingdom do. Is our joy and a pleasure that we get to enjoy. And because it brings glory and honor to you. That's what intimacy with the Father is, is that we we long to bring glory to him. We long to honor him. We long to magnify King Jesus. So I pray that here right now, I pray that, that any religious spirits just kicking about in our hearts, any religious thinking in our mind, where we try to impress God, I pray that that will be broken in the name of Jesus. Jesus has come that you may have life. And life in abundance. Life in fullness. So why would you come to Jesus, receive salvation and then place heavy weights on yourself or let others do that with expectation? I pray, Father, that we would be a, a community, a, a, a group of friends who run together with the spirit at the center, fueling within us a desire to love God, love our neighbor. A desire to do works of the kingdom that, are, that outstrip the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes. And I pray in these days that we would have stories of your goodness within us. I pray, church, I, I want to pray that in these days, even next week, there would be stories where, 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 we would, where people would share and say, do you know what, for the last 20 years, I've tried to prove myself to God. I know that Jesus loves me. I know that God has run after me and sent his son to save and rescue me, but I've tried to prove myself to God. And Jesus broke that over me. And this last week, I've just rested in his kindness. I've rested in that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, that his righteousness has been credited into my account. That when the Father sees me, he now sees the perfection and righteousness of King Jesus. 
And I pray that, that this week, that they, a righteousness that is in Christ would be fueled in our life, a desire for right living with God because of Christ's faithfulness. And so we bless your name. We bless your name, Jesus. Be magnified in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you fulfilled the law. Every, every bit of it you fulfilled. You lived a righteous life that no man ever could, but you did. And we thank you that we are saved also by your life. We're saved by your death and resurrection where you, where you forgave our sin as that sacrificial lamb. And we say thank you that in you is life. Amen. Be blessed, people. Parents, can I just encourage you to collect your children from their groups? If you'd like to be prayed for, I'd love to pray for you. I really feel, I feel we've got to keep praying for one another in these days and giving loads of space. So if there's anything you want to be prayed for, please do come and we will pray for you. Thank you, everyone.